At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to Scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. What an amazing opportunity that our teenagers had all across all 15 campuses. What you don't see in the video are all of the times where our students were broken up into smaller family units. They had adults who gave up their weeks uh, or their week of work in order to be there and to disciple them, to walk them through the scripture, uh, to lead them in understanding more and more about why it matters that we can go and tangibly serve other people to give them a sense of hope. Uh, There are stories after story about the conversations that these teenagers would have with these adults in these differing communities and different ministry areas, just talking about why they're there and why they would choose to give up a week of their summer to go and do some manual labor for the sake of investing and creating an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Uh, I think there are 15 kids who made a commitment to Jesus, and they'll be baptized. Uh, They were baptized on Thursday night, and so that's an exciting thing. And I I know I've said this before, but uh, repetition is key because hopefully it helps to sink in. Uh, We don't do these type of events in camp simply because we're bored. And we don't do these type of events in camp simply because we want to be your social outlet for your family for the rest of your life. Uh, We do all of these events, these camps, these retreats, all these different things for the sake of creating opportunities for people to experience Jesus, for them to meet Jesus maybe for the very first time, or maybe for them to be inspired and motivated and fueled up to go out and be ambassadors, to be the witnesses of Jesus. So whether it's a student week, of Hope Week, whether it's Kids Camp, whether it's Camp Woodside, whether it's a women's ministry event or a men's ministry event or even a life group, all of these things are geared towards the same goal, to equip you to live out your faith in this world today. Speaking of life groups, we're going to really start driving down deep into those in the next few weeks because as the fall comes around and as people's routines and school, everything gets back into motion, It's a great opportunity for us to kind of reset our schedules, reset our life, and have this small group of people as a weekly thing or every two-week rotation for us. And what these life groups do, again, they're not meant to serve as your social outlet. If you find your best friends in those groups, praise God. If you don't, praise God. Because the life groups that we seek to start, that we seek to equip and empower, are meant to be a tool and a vessel for you to equip you to know how to live on mission. I don't know if you've recognized this yet, but following Jesus is not really easy. Can anybody like testify to that? Anybody, anybody thinks it's super easy to follow Jesus? If you are, I want to learn from you. Um, it, it's a hard thing, and God knows that, which is why he gave us community. And so these life groups are meant to be a thing that we embrace and that we put into our life where we allow other people to help us in our pursuit of following Jesus. And I said this last week, I've said it lots of times, all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, have a calling. All of us as a follower of Jesus, we have a mission. 
We're meant to live on mission, meaning when we're in our neighborhood, we're in our workplace, we're uh, shopping, we're doing all sorts of different things out in the community, out in the world. We're meant to be doing all of those things for a point and for a purpose, that God might use us to invite other people to know who his son Jesus is, that God might use our efforts, our workplace, our neighborhood in order for him to to uh, speak through you and work through you in order that other people may come to know who his son truly is. God wants to use you. If you don't feel like you're adequate, join the club because God, through your weaknesses, will make you strong. And through your weaknesses, you're not the one that's glorified when you pray with somebody. You're not the one that's glorified when you gift something to somebody. You're not the one that's glorified when you share a good news of hope and mercy with someone. Instead, who's glorified is God, because without him, we can do nothing. And all of this kind of segues perfectly into our time together. We're right on the front end of a brand new sermon series called Smoke and Mirrors. And we're going to be going through the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know how many of you have studied Ecclesiastes, but it's kind of a very, it's a very odd book. Uh, and uh, I was listening in preparation for this week and uh, heard a uh, trusted theologian, a pastor, his name's Alistair Begg, and what he said was, uh, when you start to study the book of Ecclesiastes, allow yourself to go on a trampoline and jump around a little bit, right? Those of you who maybe got to get new knee replacements and all that stuff, it's okay for you to jump as you go through the book of Ecclesiastes, because it's meant to be something that really uh, requires us to do a little bit of extra work, a little bit of extra effort. Part of the reason for that is because Ecclesiastes, it's poetry. It's written in a poetic form, and it's one of those books that you don't necessarily wake up and say, I need some inspiration for the day. Let's go to Ecclesiastes. There's maybe like two verses in there that would probably give you very direct hope. In order to actually have that hope, in order to have the right perspective, you have to understand the book as a whole. So that's going to be our, our, our desire and our goal over the next six weeks or so, to be able to kind of present to you what this book of Ecclesiastes is all about and how it can help you navigate in this world today. If you've seen the tagline on social media or in the emails or even on the graphics, uh, it, it's helping us to know how to decipher the truths of the world, helping us to know how to decipher the truths of this world. And so if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and go to Ecclesiastes. And uh, we're just going to kind of jump right into it. And it's going to be, we're going to kind of go uh, not all over the place, but we may have to think a little bit today. So put your thinking caps on and we're going to do this. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter one. I'm going to read the first uh, 11 verses. <clears throat> the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Let's stop there. How many of you feel really encouraged already? Right? All things are vain. Vanity upon vanity upon vanity. What does man gain by all of the work, all of the toil that they do under the sun? We're going to camp out here for a minute. I'm going to kind of shift some things here. Let's camp out here for a minute, and let's try to understand what's happening here. The book of Ecclesiastes, we think, uh, is written by King Solomon. 
Most scholars would attribute this book to him. There are some things, there are some questions about whether or not he truly did author this book, but most uh, theologians, most scholars, we kind of lean towards that way. And if we understand Solomon to be the writer of Ecclesiastes, it helps us to kind of paint a broader picture. I don't know if you know much about Solomon, but he was the son of David, right? He's the son of David, King David. We know about David. You've read about David. He's David and his mighty men, David and Goliath, King David. Uh, and uh, Solomon, his son, took over his reign and really still led the nation of Israel in the right direction for a period. And then at some point, he begins to stray a little bit. King Solomon was known as one of the most wealthy kings in Israel because he amassed great wealth, great bounty. He established the kingdom. He overthrew and took over other nations. Uh, and he also amassed, a, um, how do you say this in a PC way? He had a harem, okay? Uh, and he pursued that, and he had all of these things in life, and he was on top of his game. He was this powerful, powerful leader, and he wrote also the book of Proverbs. I don't know if you've ever gone through Proverbs. It's a great book for you to walk through and to work through. If you're having a hard time knowing how to jump into God's word and have a daily quiet time, use the book of Proverbs. Give yourself a chapter a day and slowly go through each single verse and allow the truths and principles of wisdom that are found there to guide your life. I've known of some entrepreneurs who use Proverbs to help them as they started their business because it enabled them to set business practices up on wisdom on the front end of their business rather than trying to go back and repair all of the things that go astray. Book of Proverbs is a wonderful, wonderful tool or a wonderful resource for you to understand how to have God's wisdom in the way that you interact and work, in relationships, and in your life. The other book that he wrote was Song of... Solomon, right? Or Song of Songs, okay? If you ever wanted to know if there was PG-13 material in the Bible, there is. It's actually rated R, and it's in the Song of Solomon. It's a great guide and wisdom book for a husband and a wife to understand intimacy and to understand what it is to pursue one another well. Married couples, use that as your Bible study reference. Apply the scriptures directly after you do your Bible study on the Song of Solomon. It'll be a great experience for you. Nobody laughed. Man. <laughs> Y'all really need to go read it if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but the Song of Solomon, it gives us this perspective and wisdom on how we cherish and how we appreciate, how we honor, how we love our spouse well. And then we have Ecclesiastes. Proverbs written probably earlier in his reign. Song of Solomon, who knows, you know, at what point, maybe midlife, whatever. Ecclesiastes, we assume, is kind of written towards the end of his life. And we kind of come to that conclusion based off the way that he starts it all off. Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Here's a guy who's on the top of his game, who has everything he could ever want, anything that you could ever want. He has all of it. And at the end of his life, he reflects and he says, everything here is in vain. What good is it for man to toil under the sun? This phrase, vanity of vanities, uh, you see it used in other parts in the Old Testament and a little bit in the New Testament, but when there is a descriptive and an adjective, when you have that frame together, like 
king of kings or lord of lords or holy of holies or vanity of vanities, what those phrases are doing is they're communicating an absolute statement, something that's firm, something that is true, something that cannot be argued with. It's very bold for Solomon, right? Imagine that he's gathered people around and he wants to present to them these uh, new findings, this new wisdom that he's come to. And he starts off with this, vanity of vanities, all life is vanity. It's not inspiring. It's not encouraging. Don't take verse 2 and say, what good is it for man to toil under the sun? Don't take verse 2 and go to your boss tomorrow morning and say, I don't need to work because all of this is vain and the preacher told me I don't have to work because it's all vain. If any of my staff do that, you're in trouble, right? But it's, it's this thing. It's not saying don't do things in life. It's, he's not saying don't uh, uh, produce, don't go after things in life, but understand The life that we choose, the life that we seek to have in our own existence, sometimes, a lot of the times, it's all in vain. What we see later in Ecclesiastes, spoiler alert, is he's trying to point people towards recognizing that life without pursuing God's will is vain. That life without submission to God is vain. That life without seeking after his wisdom is vain. When we choose to try to make things ourselves, when we choose to make our own decisions about where we live, what our profession will be, who it is that we'll be married to, how we're going to raise our kids, how we're going to navigate the situations of life, when we do that devoid of God, when we do that devoid of seeking after his will, this is what Solomon is saying all of this pursuit is vain. That was perfect cue, guys. That was awesome. The lighting in the room is vain, right? All of it can be vain. Meeting in a building like this, having a service together like this, having you online with us like this, if we're doing it apart from God's will, all of it in the end is vain. And what's the point of doing all of this stuff? If we did all of these kids camps and student events and life groups and all these different focuses and drive and pushes of you towards community and all we wanted you to do was feel happy, what's the point? Oftentimes in the world, our world tells us you need to find happiness. Another way that the word vanity is uh, used or translated, maybe some of your Bibles have this, is the word meaningless. All things are meaningless. Because the root of that word vanity in Hebrew means a, a, a vapor or a wisp of air or a breath or a breeze. If you know the scriptures, maybe it's calling to mind some things that we find in the book of Psalms, where David says, our life is but a wisp of air in the context of who God is. You're not that important. I love you. You're not that important in the grand scheme and context of God's eternity. So what we see, Solomon is trying to just really either annoy people or he's just lamenting. As he looks back on his life and he recognizes he has all these achievements, 
He's at the position that he's in now, and he's recognizing what good was it? I pursued all of these things, yet in the end, none of it really matters. There's something, there's a truth, there's a reality. I don't know if you know this, but nature repeats itself. Think about that. Nature repeats itself. A couple weeks ago, we had um, crazy rain, kind of like last night, but it was a little bit longer, right? And this is a few weeks ago down in Detroit. What happened down in Detroit? Highways were flooded, neighborhoods were flooded, basements were flooded. And over the last couple of weeks, what's come out is that this is not obviously the first time that this has happened in that area of Detroit. It happened decades ago. You think about Hurricane Harvey a couple of years ago down in Houston in the Gulf Coast area and the amount of flooding that happened there. Same thing. While it was so, there was so much devastation and tragic realities, it was not the first time for that thing to occur to happen. That's why they call them 100-year floods or the 100-year rains. Nature just repeats itself. And Solomon, after he makes this bold statement that nothing in life is of value and that everything is vain, he then tries to lead us to say, let me help you understand why nature repeats itself. Look with me here. Let's jump back into our text down at verse 5, or starting at verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So why does nature repeat itself? I don't know if you guys know who created nature. God created nature. God is the creator. God created the world that we see, the physical world that we see, even the things in the world that we don't see. He created all of it. God created you. God created you. How many of us, though, oftentimes in our life, look up to God and say, I know you're the creator, I want to change some things about the way you've created me because I don't like them. I'm going to go do something different. Or how many times uh, do you hear on the news or in other places, hey, here's creation. We need to change creation and alter its course because we have that much power. God is the creator. We are the created. And everything in nature repeats itself over and over and over again. How many of you, how many, uh, speaking of myself as well, do we have patterns in our life where it's every few years, maybe every few months, and maybe every few weeks, or maybe every other day, you kind of revert back to a way of life that you know that you don't want to be in. Yet you go back to that place, you live in that place for a little bit, and then you come out of that place, you're like, all right, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, and then what happens? You go back into that place, and you're there again. There's such rep, uh, repetition that happens in life, that happens in our own life, that happens in the world around us. And what Solomon is doing is he's trying to paint this picture to help us understand God is the creator of all things. 
and nature is going to continue to do what it is that its creator has designed it to do. The sun will always rise and fall. The seas will never be filled, even though there will always be water running into them. Your eye will never be filled with what it sees. It will never be satisfied there. Your ears, what you hear, what you listen to, will never get to the point where it says, no longer, I, I'm full, I can't receive anything else. Despite what your wife may say to you. You, <laughs> that was a bad one, right? He's trying to help us understand creation. It's just always going. It's always going to go. There's nothing we can do to change it or stop it in our own power and in our own strength. Nature repeats itself. In our culture today, I think uh, all of you could see this and maybe understand this. Um, there is this constant desire that you would have a happy life. There's this constant drive towards that end. You need to have a happy life. Here's what a happy life will look like for you. You make this much money, you live in this type of neighborhood, you have this type of relationship, you have this amount of children, you drive this F-250 King Lariat edition, you have this type of diet, and you have, um, you know, whatever else. There's this drive in our culture, and it's this unending pursuit of happiness. C.S. Lewis uh, said this quote, I'm going to butcher it, but he said, all of human history is a reflection or, a, or a, a narrative of humanity trying to find happiness devoid of God. That all of human history, it's all about the pursuit of man trying to find happiness, trying to fill whole and satisfied in life, but without God. How many products, how many companies try to use that phrase to capture your attention? Hey, you need the new iPhone. We changed the corners on it so that it's a lot better as you slide it into your pocket. You need it. Your life will be so much happier. You need the F-250 with the King Lariat edition because when you sit down, the seats massage you and they cool your body in the hot, muggy Michigan weather. <laughs> right? You need all of these things because they're going to bring about a sense of happiness and contentment for you. You need to be in a relationship because only in a relationship will you truly find happiness in your life. Over and over and over again, our human history has this pursuit of what is it that will bring us contentment and satisfaction. And sometimes we fall prey to it. Sometimes we pursue after that. What Solomon, again, he's trying to show us and he's lamenting over is this fact of like, all these pursuits are in vain. I got to the top. I had all of these amenities and all these nice things. And now at the end, I recognize What's the point? All of it is in vain. All of it is in vain. In this pursuit of happiness and in this pursuit of that which makes you feel whole, how much of that invades the church? How many of our teenagers view us 
or view you as their parents of saying, well, this is the point and purpose of life. Do things that make you feel good. Do things that make you feel happy. From my vantage point, as a ministry leader, one of the things that I talk to our team about often is, hey, we want to create a great environment for our teenagers, but we don't want to create such a great environment that we stop challenging them and stop putting them in positions where they feel a little like, ooh, I don't know if this is comfortable or not. They're really calling me out and challenging me to follow what God's word says. Because you see, if all we ever do is entertain our teenagers, what happens is that they grow up into young adults, and as these young adults, guess what they go and look for in a church? Where can I go and be entertained and comfortable? And so you have this this, uh, mindset that church, gathering together as the body, is meant to entertain you, right? Maybe you're thinking of that gladiator quote, like, are you not entertained? We have haze. We have lights. We have really good music. But when that becomes our pursuit to just engage people, to make sure they feel okay and that they're happy when they come to church and that they leave happy when they leave church, if that is the ultimate goal, all of that becomes in vain too. I told you you're going to be really encouraged today by our message. We have to understand what is it that God's will is for our lives. And how is it that we are pursuing happiness and contentment with him according to his plan and his purpose and his will? Maybe God wants you to have that nice house. Maybe God wants you to have that type of vehicle. Maybe God wants you to have this thing or that thing, whatever it may be. Maybe God truly does want you to have that, but for a point and a purpose. He loves you. He wants to show you and lavish you in his love, but he also wants you to use those things for his sake. I can fit a lot of people in an F-250, and I can bring them to church with me. I just gave everybody an excuse to go buy one. Don't, don't quote me on that. But do you see the difference there? Are you willing to kind of submit and open up and say, God, what is your will? What is your desire for my life in this particular situation or in this area? Look with me down here, verse 9. We're jumping back into the scripture. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's, it has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Look back there in verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. In the rest of our series, the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear this phrase, under the sun, a lot. Because what Solomon is addressing is he's addressing our temporal life here on earth, the physical limitations that we have, living. I don't know if you know this, but all of us have an end fate that we all share in common. All of us are going to die. Sorry if there's kids in the room. But it's a reality that we all share. In this under the sun phrase, Solomon will use it over and over and over again throughout the rest of this book to help us view things in the right mindset. While we're here, 
is what we're doing in pursuit of God's will and his wisdom, or is what we're doing in pursuit of our own will and our own perceived wisdom? Everything that has been today has already been in the past. Let's think about that for a moment. Let's make it apply a little bit here. Um, There was this great nation, um, well, uh, the Roman Empire, okay? Roman Empire. I was, a Roman, I was a Greek and Roman history major, so I kind of know a little bit, maybe, if I can remember and recall correctly. But the Roman Empire had this guiding principle. Some of the um, uh, philosophers and historians talk about this, but it's called the, the moral compass. I think everybody understands what a moral compass is, right? The thing that guides you, hopefully towards good moral things, right? In the Roman Empire, they set out, and the way that it was established was we are going to maintain who we are, and we're going to have this moral compass about us, and we're going to continue to live and breathe out of this place. And what began to happen was as, as the empire expanded, and the way that they expanded was conquering other nations, they began to bring more and more uh, values in other nations and other philosophies into their empire. And what slowly began to happen over decades was that moral compass that helped the empire start out where it was began to crumble from the inside out. Began to crumble. The Roman Empire did not fall due to an overwhelming attacking force. It fell from the inside so that when the external force came, it was easy for them to overwhelm them because the moral compass became degraded. The moral compass was challenged with new ideas. Hey, we need to be progressive in the way that we view things. I think that we need to change the way that we have expectations on people. I think we need to alter the things that we do in order to help people feel a little bit better about their life. I think we need to uh, make all of these drastic changes from our history in order to make sure that people are comfortable and that we can continue on in health and happiness and goodwill. Does it sound familiar to you? I hope it sounds familiar to you. All you got to do is turn on the news. Hey, we really need to adjust our expectations of people. Because people feel weird when you put an expectation on them. Hey, we really need to adjust this tradition because there were seasons where it wasn't really good. And we need to make sure that we alter that so that when I think about it, well, actually, I don't even want to think about it. Let's just blot it out of our history and our mindset altogether. Oh, you know what? We really need to alter this because we're progressive and we've become more enlightened, and we think that this will be better and that people will feel better about it, so we should do that. All you got to do is turn on the news. You really want to be shocked, go on social media, and you're going to find that there's this degradingness, or that's not a word, degradation that's occurring in our inner core. And this is not a political conversation. This is a human, like, this is a human anthropological observation that this is what's happening with people. History just repeats itself. Everything that people are talking about today in this new progressive stuff is not really new and progressive. It's already happened centuries ago in multiple other civilizations, not just the Roman Empire. Humanity has this natural bent to say, oh, you know what? I know what wisdom is. 
Oh, you know what? We know what's right. Oh, you know what? We know how to get what we need. And we just kind of repeat the cycle. Again, super encouraging, right? So what's the answer? How do we deal with this? And it's very simple. I mean, we know this now, but God has a plan for the world. God has a plan for the world. What is that plan? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And how does that plan come to fruition? What does that plan really look like? I want to share with you a couple of verses um, that are really talking about Jesus' ministry, some of the things that he said, some of the things the Apostle Paul said. But listen to some of this stuff. I am creating a new covenant. Luke chapter 2. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Galatians 6. There is now the newness of life. Romans 6. There's now the newness of the Spirit. Romans chapter 7. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. 2 Peter chapter 3. And uh, I will create a new song within you. Revelation. And a new commandment I give you. John chapter 13. Through Jesus, God brings about the newness and the contentment and the fulfillment that we all seek. Through Jesus, we have the ability to live life in such a way that it's not in vain, so long as we are embracing the fact that you are a new creation. That doesn't mean that you run away and hide from the world, but it means that as you live in the world, you're living in it in a new way because you are a new creation. You have a new mindset. You have a new heart. You have a new spirit about you, and it's all because of Jesus. There's a newness that comes about as you pursue and follow after God and as you embrace and confess and believe that Jesus truly is your Savior and your Lord. God's plan for the world comes through Jesus. How do you not just live in the monotonous, mundane cycle of life that's always repeating itself? How do you have hope how do you have a contentment when everything around you is going crazy? You wake up on November 5th, is that the date? You wake up on the day after the election, and instead of fretting, and instead of being in panic and fear over who it was that was elected, you're just kind of content. God, I don't know if I really like this, but you're in control, and I'm going to choose to trust you. God, I've got this really great job offer right here. It's a really great opportunity right here, and it's going to increase my salary. It's going to be a great opportunity. But God, I want to be obedient to your will. What is it that you desire for me to have? And if he tells you not to go into that job, God, I'm, I'm disappointed. But you're in control, and I choose to trust you. You see, when we recognize and embrace this fact that through Jesus, you can view, you can operate, you can interact with the world in a new way. That should give you hope. And God doesn't just stop there. Because it's not just about you feeling happy or you feeling content or you having hope. Absolutely, that's a desire of his for you in your life. But more importantly, as you live on mission, as you engage in the world around you, other people look at your life and they say, 
why is it that you have hope? Why is it that you're not freaking out on social media about everything? Why is it that you can face hardship and yeah, you express your pain and frustration, but yet at the same time, you're willing to still get up each and every day and move forward in life? Why is it that you're okay with this or with that? Why is it, why is it, why is it? And as you live your life in that way and people see all these things and they ask you those questions, that's when your mission comes to fruition. Well, let me tell you how I can do all that. It's because of Jesus. It's because each and every day, I spend time with him, I listen to him, I confess my sin to him, I ask him for his strength and his mercy, and then I ask him how he wants me to live in this day. Church, the church, is God's change agent for the world. Because it's through the local church that his message is proclaimed. It's through the local church that you become part of the family. You're equipped, you're empowered. And then as the church together, we go out and we make an impact in our world. God's word is another key change agent in this world. We take his word, we read it, we understand it, we embrace it, we meditate on it, we memorize it, whatever else it is that we need to do to make sure that this word is binded in our heart so that when we face the things of the world, we respond in a way that we know that God would respond. So that when we interact with things, we interact in a way in the way that God would respond, in the way that Jesus leads us according to his word. So, as we jump into this kind of almost a little intellectual series, where we're gonna have to do a lot of mental reflection and a lot of kind of assessment. Be encouraged. This is gonna be an opportunity. It's gonna be a challenge, but it's gonna be something that Lord willing, it helps us to know how to decipher, how to navigate, how to see through the world's principles and truths and answer them according to the way that God's word shows us. You guys think you can do that? You guys ready to do that? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that in it and through it we find direction. God, we thank you that it illuminates for us maybe some of the shortcomings in our own life. And God, we're grateful that you also show us what your plan is and you show us how to follow you and obey you in the midst of those plans. Father, we're not perfect people. I'm not a perfect man. And God, we need you. I need you to give us the focus that you have, to give us the direction that we need. And God, most importantly, that we would know how you want to use us for the sake of the kingdom, that you would work through us so that we might be a, a link in the chain of somebody else coming to know who your son, Jesus Christ, truly is. Father, we choose to trust you. We choose to commit our lives to you. We choose to be willing to maybe let go of some things and maybe embrace and embark on some new opportunities and a new journey that maybe we haven't been on before. Father, would you renew our hearts? Would you renew our minds? And God, would you show us how to walk in step with you? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
So as uh, you guys, I'll dismiss you here in a few moments, but this week, really dive into God's word this week. Come back next week and ready to learn and listen some more. Uh, we have a special guest next weekend. His name is Doug Schmidt. He, used, he was the senior pastor here at Woodside Bible Church for around 30 years. He retired. Okay, I can't say that he retired because he'll get really mad. He moved to a new season of ministry doing something else. Um, but Doug is going to come, and it's going to be a blessing for our church family. So I really hope, make sure that you're here. Make sure that you come ready to learn, to be challenged and to engage in God's word in a way that maybe you're not accustomed to. Um, and uh, you heard from John, we've got a lot of things going on. Make sure you check out the stuff about the backpacks and your worship guide. You see all the stuff down at the table. Um, and uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna do things a little bit different in the service. And so if there are things that you wanna talk about more, if there are things that you want to ask for prayer for, we'll have prayer team members down here at the end of the service. You can come up and talk with them. Uh, you can come find one of us down in the lobby. Be happy to visit with you. We love you. We're excited for what God is doing in the midst of our church, what he's gonna do in your life. And we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.